Mary comes running and falls to his feet and cries. And I think he just entered into that vulnerability with them, into that space. Like he didn't say to them, okay, that's enough now, stop the crying. Or, you know, don't you know who I am? Like, don't you know what I can do here? Or, oh, you live with faith. Like, he didn't, <laughs> he didn't like come out with any, like any quips, any one-liners. There was, there was no, no rebuke. No, there was yeah. nothing there. Like, none, none of that there. Like, he wasn't interested in stopping their grieving. He entered into the, into it yeah. with them. Yeah. And it was from that place of their vulnerability and the heartache that he called on the power of God to raise Lazarus from the dead. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Living Fullness. I'm Stina Constantine and joining me on the podcast is Father Sean Burns. Each week you'll hear us chat about a range of topics from virtue to relationships, comments on cultural shifts and lessons we're learning as we go along. And we are always so delighted to have you join us. So sit back and enjoy being part of a conversation with a couple of friends. Hey, Padre. Hey, Stina. How you going? Doing all right. How are you? I'm going all right. Thanks. That's the way. What's been happening in your world? Oh, what hasn't been happening in my world? (laughs) 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 It's been one of those weeks, one of those days today, particularly. Mm. So uh, it's it's good, though. It's good, though. I've had a couple of moments of peace with the good Lord, so that's that. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, the cathedral. The end of the year is always enough. Yeah, it's fair enough. Just, yeah, yeah. So fair enough. And we are at the end of the year. Mm. Like it's yeah, mm. yeah. It's November. Mm. How about yourself, Stina? What's been going on? There's been some closures happening in my life, so just mm. kind of closing off some chapters and yeah. starting of new ones. So I think this um, episode today is probably very fitting. Okay. All right. Mm. So what's the episode that we're talking about? Today we are talking about grief. Okay. All right. So I thought maybe we could kind of do some different perspectives, takes, if you will, on grief. Absolutely. Where where should we kind of start? All right. Well, I mean, the best place to start with something like grief is one's experience generally. And Mm. I come from a pastoral experience. Mm. So uh, I think a good place to start is considering grief as a result of death because that's where we tend to consider grief most, although grief does happen in other times, other parts of our lives. The more common sort of moment that we talk about grief is in death. So one of the things that I frequently hear priests say, because obviously my context is from a pastoral context, one of the things I I frequently hear priests say is that we don't need to be afraid of death. Mm. And you know, death is just the next step into eternal life. And there's truth to what they're saying. Like I actually get where they're coming from, but I also get why people fear death and why it leaves such heavy grief, right? I mean, we were made with forever in mind, right? We were, death is so contrary to that reality for mm. which we were made. Mm. Yes, we move into the next life. An ending of earthly life, a separation of body and soul is not something that we were ever meant to experience. So when Paul calls death an enemy, he really <laughs> means it. Yeah. You know, it's completely contrary to the human experience. Yeah. And the grief that we experience as a result of death is so intense because we're made for communion with others. And for a time, the communion we experienced with a person in our senses and our soul is interrupted. We can no longer experience that person in a bodily way. And so the manner in which we experience them internally is changed as well. Mm. Conversations had, 
hands held, hugs mm. given. The sacramental manner in which we experience the world and God's grace working in the world is ruptured by death in some way. And precisely because of this, grief goes right to the heart of our existence. The response that we have to give, therefore, has to be more than, oh, well, there's no need to fear death, or far worse and sadly more common response, oh, they're in heaven now. There's no need to be sad. Mm. When children say that, it's innocence speaking. Mm. When adults say it, it's a neglect of the sacramental reality in which we live, mm. that there's been a rupture of some kind that impinges upon us because how we encounter the world is in a sacramental way. This person is no longer present to us in the bodily way that they were. They're no longer in our presence in that way. And so, yes, there is going to be great sadness. And yes, I understand why there is a fear of death. Mm. So in terms of a pastoral response, what's required? Well, as a priest, my biggest task with family who are grieving is to just kind of sit and be. Mm. I'm often present at hospital beds with dying patients and their families gathered around and I rarely say much at all. I'm just kind of there. I try my best to read the room. Some people are really uncomfortable with a priest. Yeah, right. You know, and mm -hmm. so if I can sense that discomfort, I'll make my visit brief, doing what must be done to help the Christian soul. But then, you know, just letting them know if they'd like me to come back at any stage, I'm very happy to do so. Other times, family are receptive. Mm -hmm. And so I'll just sort of stay for a while and pray as, as the Holy Spirit sort of guides me. And um, after death, when I meet with the family, one of the questions that I'm really privileged to ask the family as they prepare for the funeral is, can you tell me about your loved one? Mm. You know, and I get to see how they saw their mum or dad or a brother or a friend. And, and that, particularly if it's a parishioner of mine, it opens up a new, yeah. something new that I, I've known about them, but not known from this perspective. Yes. Right? That's, that's really cool. Mm. And uh, I guess along with that, one of the more difficult tasks that I give, I mean, obviously I've got to do the funeral and things like that. It's okay. One of the more difficult tasks as a priest then is to provide boundaries for the family around the funeral. Mm -hmm. And while this often comes down to what is appropriate at a Christian funeral and what isn't appropriate, um, sometimes the boundaries are actually more about giving them boundaries to help manage their emotions at the funeral. I've had to break up fights. Wow. I've had to give words of encouragement or even there's one that always sort of stays in my mind. Mm -hmm. It's the only funeral at which I've raised my voice. <laughs> wow. In the midst of it. Not just before the funeral oh, begins. wow. A fight broke out at the beginning of the Sheesh. funeral between the two sides of the family who yeah. were you know, not happy with each other and a fight broke out. I didn't know what else to do aside from yell <laughs> and put on my angry Father Burns voice and uh, told them to get inside. And, you know, so that's, that's one that always stays in my yeah. mind. Another one that stays in my mind, though, is someone who was really seriously grieving the loss of their mum. Mm. And just before the funeral, they collapsed crying on the floor oh. of the church. And so I, I sat with them for a bit oh. and then, but she kept going. And mm. I thought, I can't, I, we, we actually have to start. Like at some point, this has to keep going. So I, I said, it's time to get up now. Mm. And she looked at me and went, okay. Mm. And up she went and I thought, okay. All right, there we go. Mm -hmm. So sometimes all they're looking for is just some small bit of direction to say, you know, I don't know what to do here. Yeah, so yeah, all I'm yeah. doing is breaking down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Here's what you do now. Mm -hmm. 
you go and sit down. Mm -hmm. And look, all of that stuff, fights breaking out, someone collapsing on the ground, all of that stuff, I don't hold blame to anyone for. Yeah. I mean, that's just what happens with grief because emotions are so heightened and intense and and there's so much sadness and yeah, it's just Again, so raw. Right, right, completely. Mm. So sometimes it's just about providing those boundaries and helping them to navigate some really difficult emotional spaces. And then, of course, there's there's the follow-up after the funeral, sort mm -hmm. of willingly going to someone's place and just sitting in their grief and difficulty and, and just being with them mm. and not expecting them to get past anything with any speed or with any just kind of be there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, to send people to visit and that sort of thing. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So... It's a really sort of difficult emotion to manage and, yeah, really hard. Mm. It's such a necessary human experience though as well mm -hmm. in the face of loss. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. everyone has to grieve mm. and uh, you know, God gave us our emotions for a reason. Yes. You know, it's okay to be sad at that. Yeah. So that's from a pastoral response. You come from a slightly different sort of lens. So mm. talk to us about your therapeutic yeah. lens. Yeah, so I guess in terms of a therapeutic response, really it's about creating a really open space where a person feels they can sit comfortably and bring forward whatever is sitting on their heart, whatever is running through their mind, where they can be raw, a bit like those emotions you were talking about before, where those emotions are welcomed into a room and they're sitting with someone who is not going to judge them for it, who's going to hold that space for them to remain vulnerable, which doesn't often happen when a person is grieving, particularly in the context of a family, because everybody's grieving. Yeah. So holding space for each other is important, but it's also very, very hard to do. So sometimes having a third person isn't necessarily close but can give you that space, mm. can be really helpful. And really, like you said, that intensity, it can start off like that. Not, not always mm. but sometimes. For some people it can start off with really big emotions that are really heavy, really intense and it can also bring a sense of a loss of control yeah. as well. The life's falling apart, you know, there can be identity crises that come from that or even like a loss of mission in life that can come from that. So really big mm, questions mm. sort of come to the fore from it. But over time, those emotions start to feel less consuming or consuming of their life. And the goal of therapy really is to be able to help that person to adjust to a new reality mm. without their loved one and to find a way for them to stay connected to that person in a new way. And yeah. that can be, you know, all sorts of rituals and traditions and, you know, memorials and mindsets and like different people have different ways of being able to stay connected with a person that they've lost. Mm. But it's about creating that space and helping that person to adjust to that new mm. reality. Mm. And just acknowledging too that everyone grieves differently. There's no one way. Like there are lots of theories out there on, you know, ways that grief can come about, but no two people have to grieve the same mm. way. Mm. So it's okay if, you know, you're grieving in one way and your sibling is grieving in another and your spouse is grieving in another. They're all parts of grief. That's yeah. just the way it is. Yeah. And it can also make a person act very differently to how they would normally be. And that's okay. Yeah. So in terms of some practicals maybe then for mm. just to kind of, you know, some of the reoccurring things that I hear often. Sure. One of them is a simple thing. Mm -hmm. but it's one that plagues a lot of people who are grieving 
And that is simple questions that puts the onus and the responsibility back on the grieving person to decide. So little things like saying to the person, what can I do to help you? Mm. That can be the biggest thing, the biggest burden on a person who is already grieving because it's like asking them to figure out and find a way for you to help them. Mm, mm. Why is it their responsibility to find out a way to help you? So really shifting it and instead just going and doing something, whatever it might be. If you want to drop something around to someone, just do it. Don't ask, just do it. If you want to send them something, don't ask, just do it. If you, you know, just want to go and pay them a visit, don't ask when it's convenient, just do it. Yeah. And if you rock up and it's a bad time, just leave. Yeah. And then try again another time. Don't like don't put the responsibility on that person to chase you or yeah. to get back to you or, you know, they're already at zero. Yeah. A lot of the time when you're grieving, you're at point zero. So mm. even the minor things, when people are trying to be sensitive, which is all we're trying to do when we're looking at we ask someone what can we do we just want to do something that's helpful for them and we're not too sure how to navigate it we're trying to be sensitive about it but we've got to take away that responsibility for them it's such a difficult space isn't it like it's that space where you know there's an uncomfortable emotion and you don't want to make someone more uncomfortable and so the way that you think is the best way to do that is to actually ask them how can I help you? How can mm-hmm. I serve? Like in your brain, I actually get how that makes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. perfect sense yeah. that that would be a very considerate approach given that, okay, this person's already emotional. I don't want to make them more emotional. So I'll just check in with them. But in fact, when someone's in that really emotional state, the best thing that you can do is just go, I'm just going to do this. And, you know, obviously that's not going to be any like life altering thing. Mm. It's not going to be, you know, I managed your finances for you. Over the <laughs> yeah, weekend. yeah, yeah. Like, no, no, no. <laughs> It's going to be the simple stuff like exactly. dropping a pot of food off or going and visiting and saying, hi, just coming in to check on you. Yeah. Uh, you know, like stuff like that is yeah. just, yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that that's one simple one. Just, just act, don't ask, just act. <laughs> but the other is also, you know, give them every reason under the sun before you take an offence because they'll be so depleted and because, like I said before, people act differently when they're grieving, not like their usual selves, especially in the early days. So if someone's not calling you back, like maybe you've messaged several times and you haven't heard back from them, you've called a few times, they haven't responded to you, you've even dropped in and left a note and they haven't tried to call you back, don't take that as an offence. Or if they're being short with you, like maybe they have responded to you but it's the shortest message on the planet or they've just given you a thumbs up because that's all they could muster that day. Just remember that. That's all they could muster that day. Like it's okay, they're going through something extremely hard right now. Yeah. Don't take it as a personal offence. No. This is just that's, that's where they're right. at. It's not right. you. Yeah. Yeah. Should that maintain, should that level of disconnect remain there for a long period of time, then get worried. Yep. <laughs> then start to wonder what's going on here. It may not still be you but they might be in a really dark place and you may actually need to do something else. But in those early days, mm. in the first few weeks, it's okay. Just give sure. them every reason under the sun before you take an offence to that. Yep. yep. And even when you sort of reach that point where you're like, okay, something's amiss, before taking offence, remember that this isn't like the person to actually do that. Yeah. You know, so something's amiss. You know, don't necessarily go taking offence. Mm. Just go and go, hey, something's wrong, mm. you know, and be there for them. Yeah. Yeah. And being there for them doesn't just have to be words. No. 
you know, your you presence just, is you can just be. good. Yeah, or dropping stuff off is good. Yeah, just go and mow their lawns for them. It's good. Yeah, like just yeah. you know, take the bins out for them. whatever. Yeah, exactly, like, exactly. Just find stuff to do for yeah. them. Yeah. What about a reflection then on how this matters to us as everything we just discussed? Mm. How and why does it matter to us? And what's sort of that that theological connection? I don't know about the theological connection. You can make that. But in terms of something I've been sitting with and reflecting on is two very small <laughs> words from John's gospel where we're told that Jesus wept when he goes to see Martha and Mary when Lazarus has died. We're told that he sees and hears Mary cry and he sees others around cry and he cries <laughs> and I, I just think that that's sometimes we gloss over that yeah. like when we think about what's going on there it just kind of makes me go well hang on Jesus knew Lazarus was going to rise he was going to bring him back to life so okay he's crying but he's about to bring Lazarus back to life Jesus knew that that sorrow was going to be turned to joy Jesus knew a miracle was about to take place for the glory of God. So knowing all of that, why would he weep? And I think for me it's really quite simple. I think he just saw their pain. I think it's just that simple that he just saw their pain that because Mary and Martha and Lazarus were people that he loved and, you know, they were his friends. And when our loved ones' hearts are aching, our hearts ache. Like that's a very real pain if you've ever been in those shoes you know what I'm talking about it's a very real pain so I don't believe that Jesus necessarily wept because Lazarus had died I think he wept because his friend's hearts were aching I am going to say yes to that and I'm going to challenge it as well oh go for it so yes I agree he encountered the grieving hearts of his friends and that moved him but he also I think grieved that his friend had gone through death. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, when you think about a friend who's gone through something yep. terrible, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. gosh, I feel that. You know, mm-hmm. like they're going through something and my yeah. heart hurts for them, yeah. you know. I think his heart bleeds for the fact that Lazarus has gone through that. Yeah. yeah. He feels the sadness of human death. Yeah, yeah, fair, fair. Yeah. I think though in terms of that ache, what I'm seeing is that there was a vulnerability that they were able to show, particularly when we hear that, you know, Mary comes running and falls to his feet and cries. Mm. And I think he just entered into that vulnerability with them, into that space. Like he didn't say to them, okay, that's enough now, stop the crying. Or, you know, don't you know who I am? Like, don't you know what I can do here? Or, Mm. oh, you look at faith. Like he didn't, (laughs) he didn't like come out with any, like any quips, any one-liners. There was was no no, rebuke. No, there was nothing there. Like none none of that there. Like he wasn't interested in stopping they're grieving he entered into the into it yeah and it was from that place of their vulnerability and the heartache that he called on the power of god to raise lazarus from the dead Mm. and i think sometimes we can become so afraid of that vulnerability like you know we can become worried that that's going to consume us if we enter into their vulnerability into their pain Mm. or that will spiral or maybe we will make them spiral Mm you know, because of that sadness. But if we pay attention, we can see that Jesus doesn't crash and burn when he cries and when he's deeply moved. Instead, he continues to act. 
yeah. it continues to move towards what has to be done in order for God's miracle to happen, but it does it whilst remaining close to their hearts and staying in the pain yeah. with them. Yeah. And I think that's the path for authentic Christians. Mm. You know, the path that Christ takes of vulnerability is the path for us. In the face of grief, we, we don't need to come up with one-liners that make someone stop crying. <laughs> we, don't, we don't need to come up with something that is going to fix a moment or fix a situation. We don't need to say anything that indicates that they need to have more faith in God or anything like that. Mm. The only thing we need to do is to just be present, you know, to welcome whatever that person has to say, just sort of sit with however they might be feeling, to sit in pain with them. Mm. That's real compassion. Mm. It's the meaning of the word compassion, right? To suffer with. They've just lost someone dear to them. And so remind them you're there with them, not just in words, but also in your presence, in your action. Be present. And that doesn't mean presuming or preaching. It just means being willing to listen, to understand, to, as you said, to hold space for them as they grieve. And as they figure out what their life looks like when this person is no longer in it. And um, if the Son of God can weep, then we can too. Mm. And uh, if he can be moved at another's ache and pain, then so can we. Mm. It is also so important to recall too that uh, pray for those who are grieving. Like always remember them in our prayers. And also pray for the deceased too. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, Jesus wept. Grief is real. <laughs> yes, it is. Mm. Yes, it is. Mm. There's lots of stuff in this episode that we didn't cover. So if you'd like to go and read more, you can go and find our show notes. Mm. Mm. We've put some things in there, some additional thoughts. We just decided for the length of this episode, we yep. wouldn't include. So feel yeah. free to jump over on the link in the description to access those. But before we end this episode, a truth, beauty, and goodness, Padre. Yes, yes. Uh, so uh, what I'll forward as my sort of uh, resource for today is um, the autobiography of St. Teresa of Avila. Mm. Yeah. So it's a great biography of prayer. It's a really helpful way of looking and going, all right, this woman is essentially giving me a journal of her soul, like mm -hmm. giving me a journal of her life, you know, and it's just really helpful to see what someone who's, you know, clearly this very holy person, how did they speak with God, you know, and um, I've just found it very helpful in terms of figuring out how can I speak with God better? How can I enter more intentionally into the periods that I set aside for prayer and mm. not just sort of give way to distraction? And, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's been very helpful. Cool. Yeah. And uh, how about yourself? Truth, beauty, goodness. Mm, there's been so many throughout this grieving process, but there's been lots of moments of healing that's come with the family just in ways – like I've been called upon to lead prayer on a number of occasions by the family, which has kind of stretched me in ways I've not experienced before. So it's just been beautiful to be able to kind of be present in those moments, to have the Holy Spirit move in the way that he did to initiate mm. that desire in the family and then for me to just have words. Yep, yep. <laughs> when that came but also there's been some beautiful healing that's come from people who've consoled as well like mm. within the family unit but also so many people have flooded 
the family with love and encouragement and stories, you know, mm. of how they knew this particular person and you know, that kind of thing, which has been really beautiful, yeah. beautiful to see. So lots of very beautiful, very wholesome moments. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Living Fullness. We will catch you again next week. But until then, we'll have our loving press. God bless.